This is the last week in the book of Acts. So it's been a long time that uh, we've studied Acts. And so today, the last chapter of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 28. So you can turn in your Bible there. But first, I'm going to read uh, from 1 Thessalonians, actually. I'm going to stop for a second, actually, and say this. Um, one thing that uh, the board talked about this week that, um, is, that I was just praying about was the, the attitude of giving and how we as a church, we want to encourage um, us to be generous and to not only give to the church, but we have several different things that our church gives to. Um, for instance, we give to um, some children through the International Child Care Ministries Program, ICCM it's called, in the Free Methodist Church. And we're going to try to dig up more of that information so that when you, if you have a desire to give to that, you can give to that specific program. Now, we pay that no matter what. It comes out of our budget, but we want to bring special attention to it. And we love the children to learn giving. And so what, what we talked about was having maybe a special moment where we collect offering during the children's moment and the children themselves can go around and collect money and put money in themselves for those, um, for that project. But also uh, we, we talked about the benevolent fund. The church has a fund in which people who are in need can come to the church and uh, Susie and I as uh, staff here in the church, these requests come to us. We can decide to bless people who are struggling financially, whether it be helping people pay for their electricity or their rent, or sometimes we've paid for people's counseling. We've done many different things to be able to help people in our community who just need a hand up. They just need some, um, some attention uh, to their finances. And so they come to the church and we've been able to help them with that. But that only happens with the generosity of the church. So as you know, we have a box at the back that you can put your financial offering into the back uh, box there. But we're, if you hear us talking more about it from the front of the church, it's because we want to bring more awareness to where that money goes, but also encourage people to give. There are certain projects that are happening just to even keep our building uh, up. This week, our um, our board decided to, in in collaboration with the daycare, to paint the downstairs basement because it needed new paint. So you'll see that happen. So we want you to be aware of those things, and there might be future things that need to be done around the church too. Our, our You guys know buildings get older, and so I, I don't want to keep you guys in the dark about that, but we also don't want to talk about it all the time too. So you might hear more about it, um, but it's only to encourage you to give because generosity comes out of our heart. Also, the board has encouraged me as a pastor to preach more about that generous giving. So um, again, you might hear more about that, but I uh, just wanted to get, kind of give you an update of some of the discussions that we're having at the board level. All right, I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18, which says this. Actually, I'm going to re read verse 16, 17, and 18 because I think they all go together. And honestly, you could read verses 12 to 28, the end of the, chat, uh, of the book, because 
Paul's kind of summarizing or wrapping up his letter to the Thessalonians. But it, he's speaking to the Thessalonian church, and the Thessalonian church kind of was known as being a lazy church. They were kind of taking things for granted. They had thought maybe Jesus had already come. Maybe he was already, what's the point of working anymore if Jesus has already come and we missed Jesus' second coming? And Paul wrote to the church saying, no, you didn't miss it. We're still waiting for these things. Whoever told you that is wrong. And then in his final words to this church, he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's only a few times where God actually, uh, the Bible talks about what God's will is for you. At one point, the disciples actually come up to Jesus and say, what is the will of the Father? And then Jesus' answer is simple. He says, to believe in the one who, you ha- who he has sent. The will of the Father God, God's will for you, is to believe in the one who he has sent. His only begotten son, Jesus, that is. So that's God's will for you is to believe in Jesus. You're like, all I got to do is believe that's all that God wants me to do in my life? Well, yes and no. Yes, that's what Jesus is saying is that that's, that's God's will for you, but that transforms his will for your life. Once you start believing, if you, you might remember the first time you believed, you didn't feel like, oh, well, everything's said and done. Now I'm a Christian. It's all over. I can sit down, lay down, and, and go to heaven, and it'll be great. No, it transforms your life. Now everything that you do is shaped out of God's will for you. So that belief shapes everything around you. And I would say the same thing about this verse, where it says, everything, this is God's will for you, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is to be a thankful person. It reminds me of um, the story of Exodus. Remember where, where God sends Moses to Egypt to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. 10 plagues happen. Pharaoh finally says, okay, get out of here, Moses. Your your God is devastating our country. We don't want you here anymore. Get out. And then he chases him out and he chases him to the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea so that they can escape through the Red Sea and they get out and they're on the other side. And now they're in the wilderness. And what do we find out they do in the wilderness? They come plain. I would say the opposite of giving thanks is complaining. And and, and what Paul's telling the Thessalonian church here is, hey, listen, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for your attitude. What the Israelites missed in the desert was that they started complaining and grumbling and it shaped them for the next 40 years. They spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert. And even when God provided for them, he provided water out of a rock. He provided um, manna, bread from heaven. He pro- And then they didn't have any meat. And they're like, well, we're tired of this bread and we're tired of this water. We need some meat. And he provided quails for them. And they still found reasons for to complain. I think a, a, a big lesson in that story is that is exactly what Paul's trying to tell the Thessalonians here, is that God's will for you is not to be a complainer. I remember my mom telling me the the verse that in in the Bible that says, do everything without complaining or arguing, because 
me and my siblings obviously argued and complained about. And so she made that a theme verse for our house that stuck in my head. Do everything without complaining or arguing. But here's the, so that would be the negative um, thought. The positive thought will be like, not only should you not complain or argue, you should give thanks. You should look for things in this life that bring you joy and that you are thankful for. And it says, in all circumstances. You say, pastor, but I'm going through this, 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 and this. Oh, pastor, but nothing's gone right for me lately. But pastor, I'm struggling. But then we come to church and we sing, while there's breath in these lungs, I'm going to praise the Lord. Like, as long as I have breath, you have something to be thankful for. The fact that you got up this morning should tell you, hey, I have something to be thankful for. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Every day is a fresh start. Sometimes we're like in bed and we're like, oh, I don't know if I even want to get out of bed. You ever have one of those mornings? Yeah. Amy Beth's been doing a lot of baking this week because she's a baker and people order her pies and her tarts and it's been Thanksgiving. So you can imagine there were a lot more orders for her baking. Praise the Lord. Now she can look at this two ways. She could say, ah, more work. Oh, I got to stay up late into the morning. Oh, I'm not getting as much sleep. That would be complaining. She could argue with her husband for not helping as much. That would be arguing. Or she could give thanks. Give thanks that God is providing. And, I, and I, I'll give Amy Beth some credit. I did not hear her complain or argue. She was giving thanks. Thanks to God for uh, providing all these orders so that we could provide for our family. And just, just your attitude. This is what God's will is for you, is to have an attitude that continually gives thanks. Now, we're going to close the book of Acts, chapter 28. And As I read this passage, I think this. If there was anyone who should complain, it would be the Apostle Paul. Uh, Last week, I gave you some homework, and I said, hey, read about Acts chapter 27, which is all about the fact that Paul had another near-death experience where he's on a ship, and his ship is shipwrecked, and everybody's like, oh, we're going to die, and and Paul says, not today, we're not going to die. The Lord showed me we're not going to die. We're going to be all right. And, and if you remember last week's sermon, it was all about numbering your days. And we have to recognize that life is fragile and we could die. But it, ultimately, it's in God's hands. Our life is in God's hands. That was last week. But now Paul, he comes upon the sh- a shore. He, he comes up to the shore. And you can imagine how, what your attitude would be like if I took you and threw you on a deserted island And you're just there and you're like, ah, I was on this, on a destination to get somewhere. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm by myself on this island and things couldn't get any worse or could they? Let's read the scriptures. Acts chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Man, that's, 
You, anytime there's an opportunity to complain, it's when it's rainy and cold. I used to go hunting, and I remember uh, this was in my previous church. Their, their thing to do with their pastor was, hey, come on hunting with me. Okay, let's do, go and go hunting. Sounds like fun. Which is, it is fun if the weather's nice and, and the, the, the fall leaves are falling and you get the sun shining down on you. Beautiful to be out in the bush with a bunch of Christians looking for a nice deer Beautiful. But you know what's the worst? When it's rainy and cold and you're out there shivering and they tell you to stand there by yourself on a post and wait for the animal to come by and then shoot it when it comes. And you're out there. And you're like, why am I even doing this? See, it's, 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 it's amazing how fickle we are as human beings. Something as simple as the sun shining down on us and feeling warm versus rain falling down on us and us feeling cold will change our entire demeanor and whether we're thankful or whether we complain, right? Am I right or am I wrong? Come on, human beings. We are sinners. We're sinners. God desires that we are thankful in all circumstances. And if we just change one little dial on our temperature gauge, we can be thrown right off. You know, if it's too hot or too cold. And don't let me hear you guys complaining in when we have a heat wave like we had last week. Because I know you'll be complaining in like four months in the middle of the winter, right? When you got to shovel your driveways. You can't have it both ways in Canada. You got to move somewhere else if you're not going to complain about the weather. That's just a side note. But I'm just telling you. As we read the scriptures here, Paul, he's ashore. Now, thankfully, they can be thankful for the people who started building a fire for them. Paul, verse 3 says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and he put it on fire. Oh, sorry. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. Um, when I was a kid, you know, one of my favorite mov- movies to watch was, uh, uh, Indiana Jones. And he just like, the guy was brave, you know, he swung from ropes and he did all kinds of stuff. He tried to infiltrate the Nazis to find the Ark of the Covenant, you know, like this hero of a guy, right? But a snake would, would cause him to run and be like a, a, a little schoolgirl, right? And, uh, we've seen this with many people. Uh, where a snake, like I'm afraid of snakes or spiders, right? Like we'll just make people go crazy. When the islanders saw the snake hang from his hands, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off of, into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Uh, the people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So weird here. Don't we do this too, though? You might say, oh, this is just like ancient pagan world where they think if they get bit by a snake, it must be because God is against them. And then if they survive that, they must themselves be a god. How crazy is that? But we do the same thing. When things don't go our way, we start shaking our fist at God. We start saying, God, well, why did you do this to me? What have I done? I must have done something wrong to deserve this. And that's what what they're saying about Paul. He must have done something wrong to offend the gods. 
you know, and in this case, they say he must have been a murderer to deserve getting the snake bite. And then he survives it and they think he's a god. And we, don't we do the same thing? Things are going our way. Maybe we get some, some unexpected blessing come our way and we're like, oh, God must have his favor on me. I must be God's favorite child. Everything's going my way. And, and my point for pointing this out is that These are the people around Paul saying these things. They're the, as believers, we're supposed to, Paul said this, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul said, I want you to imitate me because I'm trying to imitate Jesus. We are supposed to be imitators of Jesus. And what happens is, is that circumstances do not change our attitude of thanksgiving. The Bible tells us it was for the joy set before him that Jesus Christ endured the suffering on the cross. Jesus' attitude towards dying on a cross was joy. Why? Because he was thinking of you and me. He could in all things give thanks to God for the circumstances that he was in, even when it meant suffering a Roman death on a cross. Can you think about that for a second? And so People around Paul are saying, hey, you, you know, you, you must have done something wrong if you got bit by a snake. Oh, or you must be a god because you survived it. Whereas Paul is even keel. He's not letting the circumstances around him dictate the attitude of his heart. How do I know this? Because even Paul says in one of his letters, he says, that he had a thorn in his side, something that drove him crazy. And what he heard from the Lord was that God's grace was sufficient enough when he prayed over and over that God would remove this thorn. The Bible's not even clear about what the thorn was. Some suspect that Paul was losing his eyesight and he was praying for his eyesight to be regained and that never came back. Some people said there was other things that Paul could have been suffering with that never got removed. But Paul heard from the Lord that God's grace was sufficient. Here's the question for you. Is God's grace sufficient for you when the circumstances are not going your way? When you're on an, uh, an island after being shipwrecked and a snake bites you, can you still have an attitude that gives thanks to the Lord? There was a nearby estate that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. Then this had happened. When this had happened, the rest of the sick of the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. I wonder if Paul was down and out because he was shipwrecked on a place he never thought he'd be in Malta. And there's these threats of things like snakes and he doesn't know the people. And if his attitude was that of being a complainer, would he have missed out the opportunity to serve God in such a powerful way? I don't know about you, but when I'm in a grumbly mood, sometimes my eyes are not fixed on the things that God is doing around me. Instead, they're fixed only on what's happening in here. 
But when, when we can get out of what's struggling in here and we can start seeing what God's doing out there, he presents us with the, all these opportunities. Uh, even this week, uh, I was at Joel's hockey practice. And when you're at hockey practice with, with a bunch of hockey dudes, dads, um, sometimes you can get caught up in some of the complaints of others, right? Like, you know, someone's talking about this or talking about that, and then they start complaining, and you get focused in on what they're even complaining about. And I was just like, I was listening to people talking, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, a man invites me down. He says, come sit here, Thomas. I was like, okay, sure. And he starts sharing with me how he himself has been struggling with something exactly like what we're talking about today, where he's had cancer for years now. And he's been praying to be healed. And he's been praying not even to be healed, but to have a sign that God is hearing his prayers. And he says, Thomas, I, I want to give up. I'm angry at God. What should I do? If I was in my own little world, I would have missed out this opportunity to talk to him. And I can tell you, when you start allowing God to move through you, like Paul does in this story where he's healing people, or even simply like something like I experienced this week where I got to tell this man, hey, listen, it's okay that you're angry. It's okay to ask God and keep praying to God and say, what's going on? Just don't give up. That's a test of your faithfulness. He wants, he wants you to pursue him. He wants you to know him. Keep asking and he will, the Bible says, seek and you will find, keep going after him. And after I left that encounter and I told him I'd pray for him, I felt blessed. And it's interesting in this story, after Paul heals so many people, they honored him and gave him supplies as he needed. Again, sometimes we miss out on the blessing that God has for us because we're so focused on what we're lacking, not what God actually has. It reminds me of the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Imagine they said, all we have is five loaves and two fish we can't feed anyone imagine jesus's attitude was well guess we better pack up and go home instead jesus rather than seeing what they lacked he saw what they had and he turned it into a miracle and i know that's hard for us because we are so in it in such a physical world we don't see the spiritual happening but we have to ask god what are you doing even if i can't see it and often i'm gonna be honest with you Often that comes when we start being thankful for the things around us. That will shift us. When we start saying, God, what can I be thankful in this circumstance? That'll shift us by being negative and being pessimistic and thinking about what our lack is and complain to then saying, okay, God, I'm thankful for this one little thing. I told you a story about uh, a few weeks ago about Julia starting hockey. If you didn't hear about this, Julia was just having a hard time um, learning to play hockey. And she said for so long, I want to play like my brother and, he, and I want to learn how to play hockey. Sign her up first few times out and she's scared out of her mind and she says, I don't ever want to do it again. I said to her, just look for one thing, one thing to be uh, that you find is fun. And she found that one thing and it changed her whole, and now she loves going. Now she loves going. I don't have to convince her. She's, there's no nervousness. I asked her last time I took her, are you nervous at all? No nervousness whatsoever. And so just changing that attitude can, can open your eyes to see. And then, I'll be honest with you, the next step is to how you can be a blessing. And for Julia, uh, she likes to do arts and crafts. 
So she's already thinking of the arts and crafts she can do for her teammates, for, for her hockey teammates, and bond with them. And so, again, I, I use these little illustrations from my life and my kids and stuff, but I think there's bigger applications in our lives, and it's just our attitudes. Just how can we shift that little attitude to see the blessing? Okay, we've got to get through this rest of this book. I might just read to the end now. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of two twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up. And on the following day, we reached Petolius. Oh, nope. Petoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Wow. If you're struggling with what I'm talking about, like, oh, man, but I just have a hard time thinking of something to be thankful for. I think one of the easiest things we can find to be thankful for is the people around us. And you're like, well, I don't always like the people around me. Well, at least they're willing to be around you. Be thankful for that. Uh, some of you, like you're having your, your family meals this weekend, you know, and some of you, you're happy to see some of those family members, and some of you, you're like, oh, I don't know. But guess what? They're showing up despite the fact that you're there. So you can show up despite the fact that they're there. And the reality is this. I was at my grandparents' memorial service last weekend, and I'm looking around at who's here to celebrate their lives. It's their kids and it's their grandkids, and it's their great-grandkids. There was the people that they loved the most. And in your life, you need to look and be thankful for the people. Even if you can just find one person that will love you, be thankful for that one person. And here's the thing. God loves you, even if there's no one else who loves you. So you could be thankful that God loves you. But God will send you people who will love you. I remember, I told you this last week about how I almost died of Lyme's disease. I'll tell you, fill in a little bit of the blank. So I was recovering with antibiotics coming into my body to heal my heart when I had Lyme's disease. And I'm in the hospital. And Amy Best like, I can't stay here with you, Thomas. I got three kids at home. I got to go home to them. And so we're leaving you now here in the hospital. I'm like, okay, all right, I think I'll be all right. Meanwhile, I'm laying there in bed, and the monitor, anytime my heart rate would dip low enough for the machine to um, kick in so that the pacemaker would have to turn on, the machine would beep, and I would watch my heart go down and then back up based on, you know, if it was able to do it on its own because they, they didn't know if I needed a permanent one or if it would recover. So we're just praying and hoping that it'll recover on its own and I won't need a permanent pacemaker. I'm staring at the machine, worrying, and my wife walks out the door and the worry and the anxiety built. And I remember thinking, I can't handle this. This is too hard. And I prayed. I said, Lord, 
please send someone so I don't have to be alone. And two people showed up. People who I would have never expected to show up. One is my um, mother-in-law's, Amy Beth's mom's, one of her best friends, her best friend, I would call her, who is a nurse and a mother herself. And so God chose her to come to my bedside, a nurse and a mother and a really good friend to just ease my nerves. I, like, I'm thankful that we have some nurses in our congregation. Nurses who do their job well are such a blessing to bring down that anxiety and to make you feel good. And, and I needed that and God sent, it's, it's funny because I was surrounded by nurses, wasn't I? And yet God sent another nurse who wasn't on duty to come and calm, calm me down. And then he sent a missionary. His name is David Casement. He sends um, radios to Africa through Galcom International, a wonderful ministry. Maybe we'll have him come here sometime and, and share about that ministry. But anyways, he came and shared about when he was in his 30s, and I had just turned 30 that year, and how he needed to spend months in the hospital himself. And to be honest with you, I have maybe spent, in terms of my entire life, a few days with David Casement, but God sent David heard about my circumstances, and he sent him to my bedside. And so I can read this scripture where Paul has just been in a shipwreck. He just had um, a, a snake bite his hand and survive that. He's just been spending uh, months off course of the journey to Rome where he knew God told him he would eventually get to. And he finally sees some other brothers and sisters in Christ, and he was just so thankful. So if you're having a hard time giving thanks, just look about, look at who is around you. Now, when Paul, verse 16 says, when Paul got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to him, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people and against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They explained, they examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the people have come from there have reported or said anything about you, but we want to hear what your views are. So we know that our people everywhere are talking about this sect. Again, that's that's the word of Christianity needed to spread to Rome, and they hadn't heard about like, this is the first time that they're hearing about Jesus and they want to know. So verse 23 says, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came there even longer, uh, even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said. Others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave Paul uh, after, after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through the prof, Isaiah the prophet, 
go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all to, to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. A few things to note here. Paul is witnessing to the Jews first. This is a method that we see throughout the New Testament where Paul says, first we're going to go to the Jews and then we'll go to the Gentiles because the message came through the nation of Israel that Jesus would be born a Jew, but then that salvation would go out to the whole world, would go out to the Gentiles. And so they need to hear it first, but then it'll go to the Gentiles. We know this. Paul witnesses to them. He sees that their hearts are hard. Now, you can imagine this, that if you're trying to share good news with your family and they don't receive it, how hard that would be for you to take when you're trying to share something good, some good news with people who you love, people who are supposed to be your own relatives, your own family. That's how the Jewish community, remember, they're like a collectivist community. They really see each other as one big happy family. But when Paul brings the news about Jesus, they reject him. That could be devastating, so much so that you could imagine that if you get devastated in trying to do a mission for God, you might want to stop. But instead, Paul turns it and he says, no, I'm not going to stop. This is now my opportunity to preach to the Gentiles. There's some cliche sayings that we have. When God closes a window, he opens a door or something like that. The reality is that, that our perception needs to be that when things don't go our way, maybe God is doing something greater. So when Paul preaches to the Jews, he sees an opportunity now to preach to the Gentiles because the Jews wouldn't listen. When Paul's now put under house arrest, he doesn't see it as a limit to him doing the work of the kingdom of God. He now sees it as an opportunity for him to preach the gospel and to have people come to him so that he can preach for years. I said, hey, like if you told me, hey, pastor, I've been arrested, but I'm on house arrest. Would you see it as an opportunity to start a church out of your home? I don't know. I think we'd do a little complaining first, wouldn't we? It's Thanksgiving. I often hear people say, oh, the world is going in such a negative direction. There's so many bad things in the world. Even last night, I found out that there were um, terrorist attacks in Israel and saddens my heart. The reality is this, even as the world gets dark, even as we wait for Jesus to come, he doesn't ask us to dwell on all of the negative things that are happening to us. 
he says it is his will for us to give thanks in all circumstances. Paul was put into prison. He was on house arrest. He was shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, rejected by his own people, the Jews. And yet he kept going and going. Why? I think because he knew that he needed to give thanks no matter what the circumstances are. So I know we got some circumstances that maybe we can complain about. But we're not going to do that because it's Thanksgiving and I'm going to give you opportunity to give thanks. So if anyone wants to give thanks, we're going to kind of close the service um, with a song in a few moments. But I first wanted to give people opportunity to give thanks. And I know at least one person has something that they would share to give thanks. So maybe Leah, would you be willing to share first? Okay, I'll bring the mic to you and you can, you can share from where you're at. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Last week, Thomas sent us a wonderful message about numbering our days. And it really impacted me. And throughout that day, thoughts just kept coming to me in the service. And then, of course, once I got home, and it just kept coming back to me in the aspect of our days and how they are numbered. And I had the privilege of turning 75 this year. And Two years ago, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary, and we always wanted to go back up north where we had lived when we first married in 1971. But because of COVID, we couldn't take that trip. And then in the spring again, I started thinking about it turning 75. And so we did that trip. And it really became such a wonderful time of Thanksgiving for us as a couple because where we moved to in 1971 was Hearst. And if anyone knows Northern Ontario, it's 12 hours northwest of here. And of course, to our families, we were going to no man's land. We were just out in the world. And, but as we travel those miles, and if you've traveled in a car and the conversations that go on when you're traveling, because for a lot of the time, you can't even get a good radio station that you would want to listen to. And so I was really reminded throughout the whole day and as we relived that, of all the wonderful days of our youth and now in our more senior years, of the people that God had blessed us with. Because they are the circumstances, it is the relationships and the people in our lives that really bring home to us who God is in our own lives and how we share him with others. And so we had the privilege of celebrating a 90th birthday of the women, the woman who got our first property from, a little farm, a four-room log, four log cabin. And we then were invited out to come for dinner of former students. So these were kids. Greg was a high school teacher, and I was a voluntary coach for 16 years for girls' basketball and volleyball, where he taught. And so they invite us for dinner. So here we are with these kids who we don't say we're 14, and they're now in their mid-50s and grandparents. And then they're sharing with us about the impact that we had on their lives during that time. And so the whole trip was just, and then finishing up with our next door neighbor and being invited back into our old home and seeing how the new people in the home have renovated the house and how they are now raising their family of three. And it was just such a time of blessing. And so I shared that with Thomas through an email and then he asked me the other night at the board meeting would I share it today. So these are my Thanksgiving gratitudes for this particular day, only to wait to see what the Lord has for us again tomorrow. Amen. Anyone else want to give thanks this morning?
So I want to give thanks to my parents because uh, so a month ago I moved away to Toronto and I had no idea what I was doing. It was very new and I this was the first time I had moved out on my own alone. Like I had friends before because I had moved out a year earlier to go to school. So I was living on dorm. But this year for like my, the first month, I've already had made so many friends. But there's so much diversity there that sometimes like people can get sucked into the ways of others. But my parents have taught me to respect myself and to respect my own beliefs. And I just thank you, mom and dad, for everything that you've done for me. And that's all. Wonderful. Anyone else? Come on, people, give thanks. God is good. Here we go. Thank you. Um, this beautiful young lady beside me, I consider her uh, my kind of adopted daughter. And she's a, I have a very good friend, and this is her daughter, but I've known her since the day she was born. So we used to live together, like, you know, we were neighbors in Toronto. And then when she was older, they moved away to Mississauga. So I didn't get the pleasure of, of spending the time with her. So now my blessing is she's come for a visit here. Um, spending a couple of weeks with me. And it's delightful because I'm getting to know her as an adult rather than a child, a baby, a toddler, and all of that. So I am truly grateful and blessed that I have this special, wonderful time mm -hmm. with what I consider my daughter, too. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's Thanksgiving. I'm just thankful for my family, my wife. I am thankful for you, Pastor Thomas, and for Amy, Amy Beth. I'm thankful for all of you here in this house. Thankful for getting to know you. Thank you for welcoming our family. And uh, we are truly growing in our faith, and we're truly growing in the community, too. And um, I don't think we could have done it without this church. Mm. So thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. I, uh, yeah. I'm so thankful to the Lord that the cancer of my daughter that went into like metastasized into her liver, it's shrinking. Praise the Lord. So Praise Let's, uh, I want to just pray, pray for Cynthia right now. Father, we thank you that this cancer is shrinking in Cynthia. We've prayed for her on and off in this church. And Lord, just help us to remember to keep praying for her. But we thank you for this wonderful news that the cancer is shrinking. And we pray that it would continue to shrink in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, I sense that theme. Like, it's cool when we give testimonies and there's this theme that comes forward. And, uh, and just whether it be 
um, Leah sharing about this journey that she took, or Lizzie sharing about her family, or Lucy sharing about her adopted daughter, or, or Dan, you talking about the church. It's, it is exactly what Paul said when he saw these people show up. It's like he was encouraging, gave thanks to God that there were people around him, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And for us, I, I think we can be thankful for that too. I, I miss a few people today because obviously we have some, you know, you, some of you have friends and family who are visiting for the weekend, but also we know that some of our church people aren't here because they're the ones going to their friends and family. So we miss them too. But I, I, I am thankful for what God has done in our church over this past year. I'll confess, I was struggling a lot last year at the end of September in terms of God, how are you going to bring us back together as a church coming out of such a season of um, just disappointment with COVID? And, and I, this message that I preached today, I might not have been able to preach even a year ago about changing that attitude because I was going through an attitude shift myself of I need to stop looking at what we are lacking and what I'm struggling with and start giving thanks for what God has given us. And, and I've seen the blessing of that. I've seen how um, I think as a church, we are growing closer together and, and God is growing us in our faith um, primarily. Yes, uh, of course, I want to see more people come into the church, but uh, I think it's more important that First, we become the people he wants us to be before any new people come in. And, and I see that happening amongst us. I see us growing closer together as a family. I see uh, people serving in new ways, like whether it be downstairs in the children's program, whether it be doing um, things up here in the service, whether it be in leadership positions or people doing things behind the scenes. Um, I'm really thankful for however you contribute to the church. Some people, it's simply by being a part of our prayer teams and praying for our church. Um, thank you for how you allow God to move through you to minister to our church. Some of you, it's just by building more community yourself. I see, I see how you just make an effort to go out of your way to get to know each other. And um, when I talk to people about the different churches that they go to, the people who've been here are really thankful for the community that we have. I know we are North Grenville Community Church. Even Lucy's son, Shane, who's out in Sarnia right now, he's, he's been attending a Baptist church out there. He told me this week that he goes to it as a much bigger church, and it's a lot harder to find community in this bigger church. He, he comes here, and he's like, we got something special here. And this is from a guy who you know, has only been attending the past few years. So I just want to encourage you with that. And I am thankful for you as my church, and I'm thankful for what God's doing here. Oh, we got one more. Some of you may not be aware of this, um, but today is um, National Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Oh. So it seems appropriate that it falls on Thanksgiving. And um, on behalf of everyone, I just want to... Um, say how much we appreciate your faithfulness, even in the times that you're not sure what God is doing. This past year, having baptisms and having new members come in um, is a real testament to your faithfulness in the place that God has called you, which is this church, but in the office of pastor. 
And we really appreciate our pastor, don't we? Thank you. All right, we're going to sing one more song together and